This podcast is not intended to provide medical advice. Please talk to your doctor about any medical concerns. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Untold Stories, Life with a Severe Autoimmune Condition. This podcast is a production of Ruby Studio in partnership with Argenics, and I'm your host, Martine Hackett. I'm an associate professor and director of public health programs at Hofstra University. As a researcher, professor, and public health expert, I've spent my career studying the complex realities of healthcare disparities. On this podcast, I speak with real people living with severe autoimmune conditions to expand the conversation around these shared experiences. Every person living with an autoimmune condition has a unique story to tell. We'll uncover how each journey is unique and powerful, exploring how community and care are essential parts of each experience. We'll also highlight the importance of self-advocacy and support. Myasthenia gravis, or MG, can be such an overwhelming condition that it can feel like you need a full village of support to manage it effectively. But what if you're struggling to find that village? Many of our previous guests have been lucky to find the love and support of their parents, partners, and family as they learn to deal with MG. But that's not the reality for everyone. For today's guest, Jacqueline, or Jack, her MG journey began when she was traveling abroad. At the time, the native New Yorker had been building a career in the competitive fashion industry. The fast pace of the city and high stakes of her career were all part of the excitement. That is, until she learned of her MG diagnosis. Without the understanding and support from her family, she often had to navigate her condition alone. Facing discrimination at work and a failing marriage, Jack came to realize that she couldn't let those setbacks stop her. She decided to embrace and reclaim her life with the support of her chosen family. Also, learning to advocate for herself in the workplace has not only empowered Jack, but fueled her desire to share her story with us today. Hi, Jack. Hi. It's my son's name, so... I'll oh, is it really? Yes. I love that. Yeah, it's a great name. So, Jack, let's start off by telling me, what was your life like before getting a diagnosis? What were you focused on at that time? So, funny enough, I didn't realize that I actually had symptoms further back than I had thought mm-hmm. when I started really thinking about when I got sick. But right before... I got sick, 9-11 happened, and I decided to quit my job and go to Australia with my best friend, but got sick when I was there. Mm. And that's when I figured out something was wrong, and that led to other symptoms. So what were some of your earliest symptoms? So this was my first real moment where I was like, well, that was weird. It was a year before I was working and we had a team outing and we decided to play kickball as a company. And so I was up (laughs) to kick Uh and my leg gave out. Mm. And so I was like, well, that's odd. And then I, I was able to get back up and I wasn't able to run the way that I would normally run, but I still made it to the base. And that's really the first time that I can remember, like, feeling, oh, that was actually my myasthenia showing itself. Mm -hmm. And then when I was sick, I had really bad symptoms. So I couldn't swallow. 
my voice changed. The way that I was talking changed. I was having trouble chewing. Mm -hmm. And I remember the really scary part was I couldn't really walk well. Like it was really hard. I was like, this doesn't feel right. And I just kept getting from my family, no, you're just, you're sick. Like you're just tired. You went to Australia, you're tired. And I, in the back of my mind, I just mm-hmm. remember thinking, no, there's something else. Like, I know my body and this doesn't feel like my body. And then what was it that finally prompted you to get checked out? So <laughs> I had to, like, really go through a couple of events for me finally to say I need to go to the doctor. So I didn't have insurance. So that mm-hmm. was the big thing, right? I was nervous about going to the doctor without having insurance and I didn't have a full-time job. But one of the first things I remember looking at my sister, we were driving upstate to her best friend's house. I looked at her and I said, Candace, look, I can't drink. And I was trying to take a sip and it would just start drooling. Mm. And she's like, okay, that's weird. But like brushed it off. And then we just went upon our day. And then I went into the city because I was interviewing and I was on an express bus. Okay. And the steps up to them are higher than like a normal city bus that actually comes down. And I went and I stepped up and my leg gave out. So I went crashing back down onto 6th Avenue Mm. and was just so stunned. And then I realized I couldn't get up. Mm. So people that were waiting to get on the bus with me picked me up and helped me get on the bus. Wow. And the real event that happened after that, I was like, I have to figure this out. I need to go see somebody. I was again going on an interview and I was at my sister's house and to get down her flight of stairs right in front of her apartment building, there's three concrete steps. Okay. And I was, again, trying to make the bus (laughs) to get myself into an interview. Mm -hmm. And I went down. Oh, gosh. And this time I was bleeding. I like ripped open my suit pants, the tailored pants that I was wearing for the interview. And I remember looking over to my left and I saw two men who were gardening and they just stopped what they were doing because they saw the fall. And this is something that resonates like now. Mm -hmm. So many people just stare at you when you go down and Mm. they don't come to offer help. Mm. So I kind of sat there and I realized I couldn't move my hands and my fingers. I was like, oh no, I think I broke my fingers. And I, of course, was like, okay, well, what do I do now? I think that's the way my sister and I were raised. Mm. My dad was very much like a, okay, you just got to pick yourself up and you just push through. So I'm constantly saying that to myself, like, just push through, even though there's times I'm sure that I shouldn't be. But that was a moment where I was like, I don't have a choice. I'm by myself. How am I going to get help? I'm just going to have to get myself there. And yeah, I had broken three of my fingers and now it's like permanently spaced. And that was it. I remember saying, I'm, I'm going to the hospital. Like we have to go. Whatever it takes, yeah. I was able to get a recommendation of somebody in the neurology department. 
In times of uncertainty, we often turn to family as our first line of support. But Jack found that relying on family would not be her reality. With her strong sense of independence, Jack sprung into action to prepare for the changes ahead. Well, I think that I had certain knowledge in terms of what I knew that I was going to be willing to do to try to make my life as healthy as possible. Mm -hmm. I was raised by somebody who was bipolar, and we knew that there were certain things that she had to do to help her feel as best as she possibly could. And so the first thing that I knew that I was going to have to do is I knew that I was going to have to go into therapy because having anything chronic is very mentally exhausting and draining. And so making sure that I had the support in that, I knew that there was a possibility that I was going to have to be on medication because that was Mm -hmm. another thing that we saw. Like my mom did best when she was in therapy and on medication. But I also was very adamant about being as healthy as possible Mm -hmm. within this illness. And I'm still like that. But What I wasn't prepared for is the financial aspect of this illness. So there was a lot of things that I was thinking of. But I I do remember being at the hospital and realizing very early on that, like, this was going to be a journey. (laughs) That you're still on. That that I'm still still on. on. That I'm still on. What was the reaction or reception from your family once you learned about your diagnosis? So at the same time that I was getting sick, my mom was being diagnosed as well with a degenerative brain disease. Mm. So there wasn't a lot of support. And then my dad had a really hard time admitting that I was sick. I remember when the doctor, our first visit, my sister and my dad came with me, and the doctor said, okay, Jacqueline, I want you to squat all the way down and get back up without any help. Mm -hmm. And I squatted down and I was like, I can't get back up. And my Mm -hmm. dad stood there and he's like, get up. You can do it. Get up. Get up. Come on. You can do this. And I was like, I no, I can't. Can't. I can't do it. And that's kind of how he was for a long time. He tried to give the support that he was capable of giving, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't actually what I've needed. Mm. And so that's been a struggle. And then my friends, you know, no one knew what this was. No one was like, you have what? And even I didn't know. So I have to say my friends have been an amazing sense of support. Mm -hmm. Like, I would say, well, I can't come out because, you know, this place might have steps or I'm nervous about this. And they're like, we've got you. I had one friend, Jason, who every time we were out in a club or a bar or anything where the bathroom wasn't on the same level, Mm -hmm. he would put me on his back and carry me down and carry me back up. Wow. To make sure that I felt safe and that I wasn't going to fall. And that's been the case. Like every single friend of mine to this day, if they know that I'm feeling fatigued or if I'm weak, they will offer a hand or they will will help me in any way they possibly can. 
You know, I've had friends drive me to the ER and sit with me. I've had friends during COVID who would drop off food because I was isolated and I couldn't go outside. Mm. So I have a really good core group of friends that I've been friends with since high school. And they are my family and I love them. In that sense, I I was very lucky. It sounds like, too, that your family's lack of support kind of also informed the, you know, need for the support from your friends. What factors do you think contributed to your family's lack of support? Do you think it was their background, their lack of understanding? So my sister, I think, was just as supportive as she possibly could, but we were also dealing with my mom being ill. And I would say with my mom, I didn't really share that much with my mom because she just was going through her own thing. And my mom was very loving. She was very caring and she did the best that she could. But in terms of how she was as a parent, she was very self-involved. So a lot of times it was just about what she was going through. Mm -hmm. And it took me years to realize that she had her own trauma and parents are just People. people. But it did. It felt very isolating to not feel like I was getting the support that I needed. Mm -hmm. It was just my sister and I taking care of my mom. Mm -hmm. So they did the best that they could. But there were times I remember once in Colombia, I needed help getting my bra on. And I remember my sister, I was like, God, what am I going to do when I have kids? She's like, are you even going to be able to? And I don't know if she'll remember this, but she also said that I was a burden at one point during a fight that we had. And I remember after that, I never, I never really told her anything again. I mean, I didn't even tell her when I was pregnant. She never knew that I had two miscarriages. And she's an amazing woman. She's an amazing mom. And she had her own trauma. And... Having a sick mom also took a lot out of her. And I think she tried to separate from me because having the sick mom and a sick sister was too much. Sometimes very visible and other times invisible, Jack's journey is heavily impacted by how others perceive her MG. This duality reminds me of Susan Sontag's work, Illness as Metaphor, which describes how illness is ascribed meaning in our culture. Sontag points out that shame is the internalization of this cultural belief that we are somehow at fault for getting ill and for continuing to be ill. Jack's family struggles to understand the reality of her condition. However, her powerful empathy has fueled a great sense of resilience while managing her MG. Not everybody knows that I have an illness. I don't tend to share Mm -hmm. because it's very hard for people to see me and think that there's something seriously wrong. My illness is very serious. It can be life-threatening. I have had moments where I'm like, I've fallen, I've had concussions, I've broken bones, I have scars and bruises from my falls. And I think that people still, 
Like I would say my mom's family in Colombia and my cousins still struggle to understand what I've actually gone through or the the difficulty that I have during my treatments or how sick I get. I remember when I was married, my husband at the time looking at me and saying, I don't think people know that this is what you deal with. Like I fell five feet in front of him and he could not catch me. Oh gosh. And I was knocked unconscious because I hit my head against the concrete. And he had a really hard time with my illness and dealing with it. But I think the hardest for me was getting married and finally thinking that I found my person Mm -hmm. and that I was going to get that support that I needed. And then realizing that he had his own trauma that didn't allow for him to be as supportive as I needed. Like there mm-hmm. was one incident where after the infusion, my vein just wouldn't close. And I remember going to him and being like, I, I need help. I need help. Mm-hmm. He's like, mm-hmm. I'm so tired. This is just so draining to see you go through this. And I'm like, I'm bleeding. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I said. I was, and I, part of my French, but I was like, get the F up. Like I need help. I can't, I'm bleeding. But that was kind of it. That, that mm-hmm. was when I saw him, like, and I had very clearly stated to him, being with somebody with a chronic illness is exhausting yeah. and it's mentally draining, but I cannot be your support when I need to be my own personal support and build myself up to get through this. Mm-hmm. Takes everything. Out yeah, of it does. Mm-hmm. And people don't realize that. Yeah. It is, sorry. It is mentally exhausting. Of course it is. You can't escape it. I mean, it's all the time. It's You're constantly trying to plan. I'm very organized and I'm OCD and I try to plan everything out so mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I can make sure that I'm safe and that I can do things. And to just have the person that you thought was going to be your support kind of not be able to mentally handle it Listen, I appreciate everything he did. Mm-hmm. He did the best that he could. Yeah. And I had wished that he would have listened and gone to therapy because I think it's important that people understand what somebody's going through. Mm-hmm. But I have to plan everything. Like if I can't cut my food, I have to ask for help. I remember the other day I went and I asked my sister to cut my mangoes. She's like, what do you want me to cut your mango for? And I was like, Candace, you know, because my hands are weak and I've cut myself with knives. Mm. And then she's like, oh, oh, okay. I didn't realize. Mm-hmm. And it's just reminding people that I need certain things. And that's, I think, why I don't always ask for help is because I feel like people think that I'm being lazy instead of actually needing. But it is... It's a lot to have somebody who's supposed to be supporting you not be able to give you that. And I get it. You go through really bad days, but I also need the type of environment where I'm going to hear, you got this and you're going to do this. We'll be back with more untold stories after a quick break. As a global immunology company committed to improving the lives of people living with severe autoimmune conditions... Argenics is dedicated to serving the Myasthenia Gravis, or MG, community through MG United. 
MG United was created by Argenix to support those living with MG and their caregivers by providing the latest information, resources, and support to address the unique ways MG can affect their lives. Wherever you are in your Myasthenia Gravis journey, MG United wants to help make today a better day. For more information about MG United, visit mg-united.com. And now, back to Untold Stories. Help me understand your treatment a little bit more. Where were you getting the infusions when your veins didn't close? Were you at home? Were you in the hospital? Were you in an infusion center? So IVIG, I started in-house. I have my nurse come to my apartment. The medicine gets delivered. Sometimes she can find a vein, sometimes she can't. So I'm left with multiple bruises all over my arms, not on purpose, depending on where they hit in your arm and your line. So if you don't keep the Band-Aid and pressure on that for enough period of time, and if the gauge of the needle might have been bigger, you will bleed. And so that's kind of when I was like bleeding because I had taken the Band-Aid off. I didn't realize that it wasn't time. Wow. So you learned. I just learned. I mean, the one good thing, though, now is that the more I hydrate, the better it seems. Okay. So I'm constantly drinking water, and I'm constantly having to go to the, to the restroom. Look, if it works, <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. I know. Jack is a technical design leader in fashion by trade, but juggling her condition can feel like another full-time job. In any field, it can be challenging to advocate for disability accommodations. But Jack's fears of risking her job stability, including her health coverage, often rivaled her passion for doing what she loves. Finding that middle ground has been a journey of its own. How did MG affect your professional life? How did you approach maintaining a work-life balance? Um, Did you need to create boundaries to accommodate your condition? I didn't do any of that, and I should have. I was too scared within my industry to share that I had an illness. So in the beginning, I would push myself the way that anybody who was healthy would push themselves. I was working at times, you know, you I make the joke that you would think that like working in fashion is like being a doctor. You're working nonstop. The Mm -hmm. expectation is for you to give everything to the brands that you're working for. Always be on call. Always, yeah. It's one of the most toxic industries for multiple things. And I just pretended like I was just a healthy individual because I was so scared of losing my job because of my illness Mm. that I never even said, or thought that I had any rights as a disabled person. Mm. And it has been constant within my industry, the abuse that I've seen throughout my career, how they don't care. Mm -hmm. I remember working a month straight and putting myself in the hospital because I was having trouble breathing and I had gotten sick and I was like, oh my God. We have to work. Like, I have to work. I I can't lose my job. I can't lose my job. I need the money. I need the insurance. I need that. Like, there was always this constant fear of if I admit that I have something wrong, I'm going to be judged or I'm going to be 
looked upon as something that I'm I'm not able to do the job and they're going to replace me. So I've built my career like that, just continuing to do. And I love my job. I love what I do for a living. And the company that I'm in now is the first company in my entire career that has been so supportive and promotes work-life balance and promotes healthy living and they want you to feel healthy and they don't make you feel bad if you have a doctor's appointment. And this, I also learned to become my own advocate. So when I went into this role, I said, I have infusions every four weeks. I cannot work during them, but I will never not be able to do my job. And I've proven that. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately with the last company that I had, I had to take legal action for that based on not making sure that the environment was safe, not making sure that I was able to have work hours that were allowing me to rest. I'm like, we're not saving lives. We're literally, and I will say this to anybody out there, (laughs) it's fashion. (laughs) And I, I say that with, you know, younger people too, when they lose their job, I'm like, I can literally tell you that this is just a job and it feels like the worst thing mm-hmm. and it's not, yeah. it's going to lead you to something better. And I have a great team. I work with amazing people mm-hmm. who do know that I have an illness and are very supportive of me and help okay. me. But I tend to realize that I'm controlling because my myasthenia is unpredictable. I can feel great. I feel good right now. And in an hour, I can feel very tired and fatigued. And so I need to be able to manage that and be able to live. Take care of yourself. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I need to be able to take care of myself. Caring for yourself is just one piece of the puzzle for those like Jack. A severe autoimmune condition like MG can also bring with it a lot of economic concerns. According to one publication, Frontiers in Public Health, among some of the top economic concerns for some people living with generalized myasthenia gravis are managing funds for emergency care and loss of income. With so much unpredictability associated with MG, Jack has learned to prioritize the factors she can control. And so how, how were you able to manage the medical expenses? How did that, how, how has that evolved for you? I've been doing this for so long on my own, out of pocket. I can spend anywhere from, depending on the year, sometimes up to, I don't know, 20 to 30K. In the beginning of my illness, I worked two jobs. Wow. And it's been tough. It was actually easier when I was younger because you can save all of your medical bills and during tax season, If there's a certain percentage of what is being put towards medical, you get money back. So Mm. I'll see some money back. But the more you make, the less that percentage hits. I see. Okay. But Mm -hmm. I'm just conscious of where my money is going and what I need to be spending it on. And listen, there are times where I'm like, it's either I pay my mortgage or I pay this medical bill and I just have to wait until my next paycheck and then I pay the bill. Mm -hmm. Because you got to put a place to live. I know. (laughs) know. That's kind of important. That's the big thing. That's the big thing. Jack, you mentioned that MG can sometimes be an invisible illness where people might not be aware of the challenges that you might be facing. Um, What have been the most impactful lessons you've learned when you've disclosed 
your condition and learning to ask for help? One, I have to preface, I am still learning to ask for help. But the first thing that I always get is, wait, you're sick? Mm. There's something wrong with you? No, I don't believe it. You act so normal. So what's normal to me is like excruciating for somebody else. So it's hard for people to understand. Yeah. It's easier when they see actually something happen. When you fell. Yeah. Seeing me fall Mm -hmm. or seeing like me struggle with my hands or not be able to do something that tends to show people that there's an issue. Mm -hmm. But it is really interesting to hear all the time. Like you don't act like you're sick. Yeah. I'm like, what does acting like you're sick mean? And I said, if I acted the way that I felt most of the times, I'd never get out of bed. Yeah. What do you do? Like I have chronic pain and it's just one of those things. Yeah. And I just push through. Like to me, it's if I don't do it and I don't try to look at what I have and be appreciative, you know, I've worked my ass off. I have a beautiful home. I have an amazing dog. I have great friends. I love my family. I have amazing two nieces and nephew that I am obsessed with. And I'm appreciative of that. So it is funny to me when people say like, you don't look sick. You don't act sick, mm. you know? And I've had conversations with strangers. I know I've been yelled at to walk up an escalator. I was like verbally accosted on the subway. That's New York for you. It is New York. But the thing is, is that they don't realize that I'm, I'm from Queens and I'm Colombian. So the temper comes out. And I remember telling this woman who made a comment and I said, you have no idea what somebody's going through. That's right. I said, I have a muscular disease. That is why I'm using the elevator. But it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter because you have no idea what somebody's going through. Jack, what advice would you give to others in a similar situation dealing with myasthenia gravis while also trying to have a successful career and a personal life? I think the one thing that I constantly have to remind myself is that you can do this. It feels overwhelming and it's, it is a struggle. I won't, I won't say that it's not. And, you know, having to go to all the doctor's appointments or having the ER visits and I've done everything. I've done plasmapheresis. I've done steroids. I had my thymus removed um, to try to help myself. And I continuously say, okay, if something doesn't work, go on to the next thing and try it. So I think telling yourself that you can keep trying new things to get yourself to the best place that you possibly can. And then accept that it's okay that you are going to have those days where you just don't feel well. Yeah. And knowing that you have the strength within yourself to keep going and just try as hard as you can to remember that mm -hmm. and to surround yourself with the right people to feel loved and positive. And I have had, the older I get, have created boundaries for myself mm -hmm. of who I will allow into my life and allow the support that I need. Telling somebody what you need to feel supported mm -hmm. when you have an illness is extremely important. And now I interview doctors. It's not just them taking me on. It's me taking them on and saying, are you going to be the right person that's going to work with me to get me to the goal that I want to meet? 
And then in the career, I mean, it's tough because it was a really tough struggle for me to get to this place, but it's well worth it. I do believe that finding something that you actually enjoy and love, Mm -hmm. like my job has actually been a safe haven for me. Like I always knew that even if I was having a bad day, I would get to work. And if I could do my job, I was happy. I actually love my job and I've been very lucky. And not everybody has that. And then I also feel like I wish that I could support people too that are going through this and I'm not sure how to do that. Mm -hmm. But I am a very supportive and nurturing person and I want to make sure that people understand that if there's anything wrong, it doesn't have to be myasthenia gravis. Like reach out to people. Jack, I just want to tell you, you know, when you talk about giving back, I just want to say that you already have by having this conversation today. And I really appreciate your time and all that you've shared. It's nice to hear that because I haven't met anybody really in the last few years that even has myasthenia gravis. Mm. It's not well known. I feel like it's not well understood. And it's nice to know that you're doing something positive and you're sharing these stories. And, you know, I sent a LinkedIn message just saying, like listening to the first episode, I remember just crying and saying, oh my God, Mm. there are other people out there going through this. And it was nice to feel that there's a community. And I appreciate this. I appreciate what you're doing. So thank you. Jack's fortitude is so moving. It's hard to speak about the deep hurt of feeling let down by family, and the pain of it feels so fresh for her. Yet she's still enthusiastic about being a support system for others along the way. Her battle with MG fuels how she approaches other challenges in her life, like finding a role in the fashion industry that accommodates her and creating a new community that encourages her through her life's obstacles. Thanks for listening. Join us on February 14th for our next episode. Untold Stories, Life with a Severe Autoimmune Condition is produced by Ruby Studio from iHeartMedia in partnership with Argenics and hosted by me, Martine Hackett. Our executive producer is Molly Sosha. Our EP of post-production is Matt Stillo, along with supervising producer Sierra Kaiser and post-producer Sierra Spreen. This episode was written and produced by Tyree Rush.